Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. Anyone understand spiritual warfare? Anyone? You're doing better than me. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing because sometimes we give too much credit to the devil and not enough glory to God. But sometimes things just keep going wrong and you wonder and you just keep praying. So with that said, let's open in prayer. Father, we turn to you. We know that you tell us greater is he who is in us than in the world. We thank you for that. And we ask that this morning that you would bind the enemy's hands. Lord, that you'd remind us who we are in Christ. And Lord, that we are your workmanship. So Lord, we ask again that you would just open up our hearts. That you'd open up our minds. And God, that you'd speak through me, to me, to my brothers and sisters. The importance of your word, your intent of the word. And all God's people said, Amen. Chapter 1. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 as we continue. Two brief verses pregnant with meaning. It means there's a lot of depth in these verses. Let me read them. In verse 13 it says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in me the treasure which has been entrusted to you. As we come to 2 Timothy, we see that there are a church that is struggling. There are a church filled with wheat and tares. It's a church that some are apostasizing, meaning that they're falling away from the faith. Now, all of Paul's writings, as well as John's writings, that is the Apostle John as far as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, again, John, and the book of Revelation is prophecy. But all the rest of the books, separate from the Gospels, are what we call correct epistles. That means there's a, a problem in the church, a problem with the people. That's us. While it was speaking to a, a specific group of people, but those problems that the people are experiencing, the same problems that you and I will experience, the same warfare that was happening then is the same warfare that is happening today in our lives. The same temptations to abandon ship are just as strong today as they were then. Now, look with me that, that phrase again in verse 13. It says, retain a standard. Now, depending on the translation, it may vary a little bit, but this standard is very important. It's in a present tense. The reason I use a, a New American Standard because it's, it's a word-for-word -word translation. It helps us understand, again, what the author really was saying. And it's important to understand that we know what God was saying through the Apostle Paul, so we then can apply it to our own lives. So it's in the present tense, which really kind of should come across this way 
keep on holding the standard, holding the bar, holding again this form that I've modeled before you. I've given you this example, how the Word of God is to be handled. That you will always understand the author's intent. Because the Bible, whether it's prophecy or not, is not open to private interpretation. When people say, well, this is what this means to me, and this is what means to me is a very dangerous place. Now, we can say, well, I'm not sure. That's better. But some people are so dogmatic what it means, and they can be wrong. Now, what's important is we understand Again, what is the author's intent in writing this? Now, it's important to understand that the the danger that they were concerned about, that's the Apostle Paul, is that Timothy, at some point, would stop doing what he's doing. Now, he was a disciple, a disciple of Paul. Paul described him elsewhere, and we've talked about that he he has a, a kinder spirit. He has a love for God and a love for the people just the same as Paul had. But there's going to be this temptation to drift away. A temptation to find that easier path. When things begin to get difficult, there are people that will press on, will stand firm, and there are people that will run. There are people that will flee. And we will see that especially next week in the text. Now there are faithful friends to Paul, and there are unfaithful ones that abandon ship, that leave when things become difficult. And you understand that probably in your own life. There are people that have gone through circumstances with you and they brought refreshment and encouragement to you. And there's people that just, that were your friends are dear and they're gone. And what Paul is doing here is continually building up Timothy, exhorting him again to be faithful to what he's already called to do. Because again, Paul, very shortly after this book is written, Paul dies. Paul will be arrested again. And they will behead him. Not only will they behead him, he will give his own neck, lean it out, willingly to die for Jesus Christ. He will not stop doing what he was called to do. And that thing is to exhort, encourage, and build up the body of Christ. Just as persecution was coming in those days, persecution is coming here in this country. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if He's not deeply planted in your heart, if you do not know that He will sustain you and keep you, if you do not know to be absent, the body is to be present with the Lord in there, and there alone is fullness of joy. Knowing that When you close your eyes in this world, you open them up to the king. The king of kings. The one who died for you. So Paul is writing to Timothy as a pastor. But not just to Timothy, to all pastors. All that will speak the word. And he's telling us, again, how we are to handle this word. This is the instruction. This is God's intent. Now it's important to understand that a soldier, if you were in the military they're always going to instruct you that you're to hang on to your weapons. Because if you're in battle, there's a conflict going on. You drop your weapon, the enemy grabs it, you're dead. 
And the weapon that he has is the very word of God. The Holy Spirit that we're going to see that's in and dwelling in him. And Paul's warning them to hold fast, to retain and keep this sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Sound, again, focuses on healthy. Notice again in verse 13, the standard of sound words. Now I think of sound. I think of a musician or someone speaking. When the context of this passage is talking about something that is healthy. Is it like a word that could be used for a physician, almost like fixing a a, a broken bone? It's interesting to think about that these words, it's sound and healthy, involves the whole counsel of God's Word. That means we can't pick and choose what to read, what to know, that we need to know the whole Word of God. In fact, if you look on the screen, Acts 20, verse 26 and 27, notice what it says here, Therefore I testify to you this day, that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole purpose of God. Paul was meeting again, if you remember, the elders. Not in Ephesus, but called to the elders in Ephesus and called them and he met together. And he's standing there and he's telling them. Telling the importance of the word. I gave you the whole counsel of God's word. It's very dangerous when we we pick a phrase and we go off and never come back to the Word of God. We tell a lot of stories and not tell you what the Word of God means. Because it's the Word of God that is living and active and we'll talk about. It's this Word of God that will sustain you and keep you. Because the Holy Spirit takes that Word and works in you. And changes you and transforms you. Because you are his workmanship when you've been born again. Now, this idea, the whole counsel of God's word, it's important to understand. It means the entire plan. The purpose of of God for man's salvation. And all the the fullness of that. Well, this includes certain things that, that people don't like to talk about. It includes and is the truth, the truth of God's word. The truth or divine truths, the, the truth of creation. That in the beginning, God spoke into existence this world. Out of nothing, he made that. And then in certain passages, it says, out of the things made, he made other things. So it's important to understand this involves creation, intellection, confusing, divisive even, Because there's two main camps in that. But the fact is, you and I were chosen before the the foundation of the world. You were elected to be in Christ. Not only elected that you would be in the body of Christ, that you'd be predestined to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That one day, that there'll be no sin in you. That you will be holy. You will be complete. Not only this election and predestination, redemption. Redeemed, bought by the blood of the Lamb. When I outline the book, uh, a general outline for the book of Genesis is very simple. In the beginning, God, and he spoke in chapter 1 of creation. 
And in chapter 2, it talks about the beginning of marriage. In chapter 3, we see the, the beginning of sin. And the rest of the Bible is about one main theme. While there are many sub-themes, but that theme is that God has spent more than a lifetime redeeming you by His blood. The goal was to, to bring you back into fellowship with God because your sins separate you from God. This is a major theme in the Bible. It's something that we need to grasp, and we'll do communion later. And it, it speaks of that redemption, but not only redemption, justification. That means that God sees every one of you that have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He sees you just as you haven't sinned or you're without sin. A husband might look at his wife and laugh. A wife might look at her husband and laugh. Practically, we're still stinkers, right? But God chooses to see us just as we've never sinned. That's our position in Christ. Not only does it include this justification, but you've been adopted, placed in the body of Christ. We've been talking about all these doctrines, and I'll show you why it's so important I'm mentioning these. This adoption occurred the moment you believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. You're placed in the family of God. You are a child of God. And you are His workmanship. And at the same time, he calls you his friend. There's the conversion, being born again. Then there's sanctification, being made holy. If you're a believer today, you are a saint. Well, not practically, but positionally in Christ. You've been set apart for his glory. In the holy living. And God says, be holy as I'm holy. And I don't think there's anyone here that has managed that. It's hard. But one day, you will be holy as He's holy. And glorification, that, that final step. One day, all the work will be finished in you. And you will be presented to the Father blameless, without spot. Much like the lamb in that, that not only position, but there'll be no sin in you. You'll have a body that's been redeemed and glorified and, and honoring God. See, these are just some of the doctrines that are taught in the Bible. And that word doctrine just, it stumbles people. But the question always arises, what is a doctrine? And simplicity is just the simple teaching of something, the understanding. Of, the Bible makes it very clear there's more than one type of doctrine. Not as I was just reading, that's true. But again, there's the doctrine, and it has different sources. For example, there's the doctrine of men mentioned in Mark. Mark chapter 7. And then in Matthew 15, you'll see on the screen... And Jesus speaking, he says, and he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress, transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your own traditions? See, man puts his traditions above the word of God. God really didn't understand what it's going to be like 2,000 years later for you. 
So we have to kind of read between the lines and make up our own rules. There are many churches that do that. Denominations sometimes have their own doctrinal beliefs that are not grounded, not found in the very Word of God. Those, again, are are doctrines of men. There are churches today that teach that if you drink, that you go to hell. Now, I'm not encouraging to go out and drink or smoke. But the Bible doesn't say that. These are just examples of, of, of some of these doctrines, legalistic. You have to follow a certain diet. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So he warns people that cleave to these things. He wants Timothy to teach the doctrine of God. Colossians 2.8, notice what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. See, the enemy will, one of the ways that he'll work is try and lead you away, deceive you by philosophy. Man's thinking. God describes it as empty deception. Notice he says again, it's according to the tradition of men. Only if you live this way will you get to heaven. Only if you do this, then you have favor with God. There's one thing that you're called to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now that's coupled with with the rest of the scripture that you need to repent and believe. We know that's what true biblical salvation is, is repenting of our sin and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has taught, what he has modeled, and that he is coming back again. And that should be exciting to each of us. Not necessarily just what the prophecies in themselves and people trying to figure out. Those are interesting. But really that Jesus is coming and he's coming for each and every person. Personally. That he knows you individually. He knows your struggles. And he'll finish the work with you one day. Notice again, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. See, so often these traditions, our man-made traditions, contradict, they're contrary to really what Christ has said. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, they took the law and they assumed it had meant this. And then Jesus then comes and gives them the Sermon on the Mount and explains really what the intent of the law, the purpose was. And that's how what we need to do is come and we need to pray for this guidance. Trusting and believing the Holy Spirit will bring the remembrance, bring illumination, will guide us in all truth because His Word says that. And God does not lie. This is important to understand. Now, again, according to the tradition men, according to the elementary principles world, rather than according to Christ. Now, when a person follows these traditions of men, this is one of the stages, again, of what we call apostasy. Apostasy means falling away. In the context of the Bible, it's a falling away from the truth, orthodox values. What God has said, not what I might say or some other pastor or some denomination, but what does the Word of God say? 
Now, it's interesting, when we think about this apostasy, we expect people to look a certain way. We expect them to be cursing Christ, and in some cases they do that. But the Bible's very clear, the wheat and the tare grow side by side. In fact, look on the screen with me at 2 Timothy 3.5. There are many that are holding the form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men. See, these men appear to be right with God. Matthew chapter 7 talks about, didn't we cast demons out in your name? Do many things in your name? He says, go away because I do not know you. A person's born again knows Jesus Christ, knows that they have favor, knows that he is coming for them again. He or she finds, again, encouragement and comfort in the Word around the teaching of words God. Look with me in 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith. There's apostasy. Now, notice paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. These deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons are throughout the church that is professing church. Not everyone who professes to believe are believers. Remember I just read in, in 2 Timothy 3.5, it says, some hold the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So outwardly, they may look like they're believers, but inside they're not. The doctrines they follow are not from the Word of God. They do not line up with the Word of God. They do not line up with the character of God. In fact, they're demonic. That's the source of it. And then there's what we look at today, the teachings of God, the doctrines of God. In fact, you can find that in John 6.45. Write it down. Take a look at it. 1 Thessalonians in 4.9. And 1 John 2 and 27. Notice with me on the screen, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable, notice, for teaching, reproof, and for correction and the training in righteousness so the man of God will be adequately equipped for every good work. Notice again in that, that verse 16, all Scripture. What is all Scripture? That included the Old Testament because they did not have the New Testament written, but it would include the verses and the chapters and the books that soon would be written and would be canonized and would come to be known as we know the Bible, the Word of God. Notice this word, and again, we'll look at more detail when we get to there, but it's inspired by God. The idea is it's breathed out by God. God has led the authors to write exactly the words, His words. So you know what His intent is. And notice again, it's to be profitable for teaching. Not only for teaching, but for reproof for correction and training in righteousness. See, God's plan is not only to save you, but to build you up, mold you and shape you to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That when people see you and hear you, they see Jesus Christ. That our lives are to be distinctively different. Look with me on the screen again, Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, 
piercing as far as division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, God's Word, when you're reading it, and this is what you need to hear, is God's Word. It's living. When you read the Word of God, when you choose to remember it, it's living in you. It's purifying you from the inside out. It's washing you clean. Changing you when you open yourself up to the Word. It's powerful or energizing. When you get into the Word and and you're studying or talking with somebody, you feel energized. You want to go. You want to do something in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice it's also cutting. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It it gets in and cuts where it needs to cut. Cut away our, our fleshly desires, those things that are stumbling you and me in our walks. That's why we need to get in the Word and we need to hide it in our heart that we do not sin against them. Not only is it cutting, it's dividing or piercing. Piercing where? The soul and the spirit. The two invisible, non-material things. It's working. But it's also discerning. And that's important to understand. It's discriminating and judging your thoughts, your actions. Has anyone ever spoken something, said something, and, and you just stop and say, where did that come from? Anyone? So many times. But the Word of God, when it comes in, shows us where it comes from and why it's there and why we reacted the way we do. In fact, Jeremiah 17.9, it's not on the screen, but you know it very well. Mark it down, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart's more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? But God comes in when you're born again. He begins circumcising your heart, cleansing your heart, washing you. And that's what the Word of God is doing. That's why it's very important that we use the Word the way that God intends for it. See, the Word... Again, standard means an outline or a sketch or even a pattern, the way that we're to come to the Word of God. This is what God describes. It's not open to discussion because God has already told us what we need to know, what we need to do. In fact, He even models that. Let me show you on the screen. Luke 24, verses 25 and 27, if you remember. This is after Jesus was raised from the grave, if you remember, and it's on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus comes along two men, and this is what he says again in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men, slow to heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning him and all the scriptures. They had the scripture. Outwardly, they obviously went to synagogue. They, they, they thought they were doing right, but they missed the very main point, and the main point was it was about Jesus himself. Going back to Daniel chapter 9, predicts the very day that Jesus would ride in on a donkey. It predicts the very fact that he would be cut off, that he would die. It's in the Scripture. And sometimes we come to the Word and we say we don't know because we don't want to know. We don't want to accept the truth that will set us free. 
It's what Jesus did. And certainly it's what Ezra did. Ezra, Nehemiah and Ezra are two great books you should read, and, and they're written and Esther about the same time. They kind of overlap. If you read a chronological Bible, you'll see how they kind of weave each other. Now, it's again in Ezra, verse 5, it, it says, and Ezra opened the book. Now, we know they didn't have books. It's just a modern translation, but had a scroll. And he opened it in sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. See, they hadn't had the word for a long time. They had been in Babylon for 70 years. God was dealing with them, and they now come back into the land, and, and, and the word is being read, and the first thing they do is they stand up. Now, we don't do that. It's not that it's, you need to or it's wrong, but the real key is reverence. They knew when the word of God was read, it was God speaking to them. And I think that's a very important point. When you're reading the Bible, do you realize that God is speaking to you personally, intimately? We should read with anticipation, expectation that God is going to speak through his living word. So it was read, and it would be read all day long. Amazing. Now, he stood above the people only for the reason that the word could go out. In verse 8, it goes on, and they read from the scroll, from the law of God. And notice what it says, translating to give sense so that they understood the reading. So what he's doing is what we call expository teaching, where, where the, the word is read and then it's explained. What is the meaning of the text? What was the text he's using? It was the law. And in the law you find Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of the law? It's to bring us to Christ. It's to show our sin and our need of him. It's all about him. It's about his character, his godliness, his holiness as we sang. The law is perfect in converting the soul. You could be in a church for 20 years and never be saved. And as God is working in you, and one day he just may speak to your heart and it's like you just stand up. And you're going to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? This word is living and active. And Ezra read it and the people were reverent and the people responded to this word. Their lives were changed in that generation. Well, I want to go back to verse 4, Nehemiah. Notice what it says. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which had been made for that purpose they could roll out the scroll and read and they speak to the people. That the people would see that the word is being read and then he would explain it with its tense so they could understand. That's what you need. That's what I need in my life. I need to know what the word of God says. These are the sound and healthy words of God that will cause you to walk in that straight and narrow path that leads to life. Now, Scripture is clear in, in Titus 1.9. Notice what it says, hold fast. Notice it calls it the word, the faithful word, which is accordance with teaching so that you'll be able both to exhort in sound doctrine, healthy teaching, and refute those who contradict. There will be people that contradict the very word of God. They will go against it. They don't want to hear the word of God. They have their own agenda. 
Or they've been deceived and they bought in. And when I was young, I went to a church that said the Word meant this. But they didn't encourage you to read the Word of God. They told you what it meant, but they never read it themselves. So the church that I was in was a cult or cult-like church. Leading people straight. That's why we encourage you to be Bereans, to follow in the Scripture, to read the Scripture. Say, God, if this is true, show me. Examine it. See if it lines up with the Word of God. Because God, when He created man, one of the ways He created man was in the image and likeness, but giving him a mind to reason and know Him. That's eternal life, is knowing God, knowing His Word. That His Word leads you and guides you. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4.3, notice what it says. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. See, there's a time, he's saying, that people won't want to hear the Word of God. And I think we're seeing that because there's a falling away. Tell me not what I need to hear. We see that even in the Old Testament, but what I want to hear. The kings oftentimes would go to the prophets, tell me what I want to hear, not the truth. And people are doing that today. I believe it's in Hosea. It says in the end times, God will send a famine, a famine of hearing where people won't want to hear the God. God says, if you don't want to hear the word, you don't want to understand it, you don't want to know it, then fine, I'm going to send a famine. And you will not know. You will not hear it. You'll go around the world trying to find it. You'll go from this channel to that channel, listening to this person that person. And you will not find me. Well, again, the standard, the pattern is wholesome, healthy teaching. And this wholesome, healthy, sound doctrine, again, promotes healthy faith and love and the growth in a person. Notice, though, the demeanor in verse 13. The demeanor of a a soldier in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. The verse tells us how we're to hold fast in this sound doctrine. With faith. It's how we are to contend for it is faith, believing. It's God's Word. And God will give you and me whatever we need to know what the Word of God is. When we know that truth, it will set us free. If it's counseling people, if you're waiting on the God, God will lead you to the Scripture or put it in your mind that you speak. Just as Aaron went before, or Moses went before, those that he went before, and God gave him the Word. Or Paul, or Timothy, to believe that God will give. Now the verse says how to hold on to this sound doctrine is in faith and love, believing that we walk by faith, not by sight, and God will guide us. God is pouring his love into our hearts so we know how to love people. We, we believe the word of God and we just walk. Now, it's interesting when we stop and think about there's these two ingredients, how we are to contend for the faith. And this is important because we need to earnestly contend for the faith that's once and for all given to the saints. Again, talking about the sound doctrine, faith means not only to trust, this is important to understand, but dependence as well. Dependence upon the word of God, the, the person of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the living word of God. 
believing if he's called you and put you in a situation, he will give you exactly what you need at that very moment. Love includes not only the love for God, but it's a love for fellow believers. But not just a love for God and the fellow believers here, but for the world is perishing because they do not know Jesus Christ. A love causing you to move and reach out and share the very Word of God. Words of life. Words that are hope. This faith and love, they only come, notice, from being in Christ Jesus. Notice this faith and love is in Christ Jesus. Only a believer who has been born again is placed in Christ Jesus. And we're kept by His power, His love until that day. It's not only speaking about our position, but practically how we're to deal with it. That we're filled with the Spirit, speaking again the words of truth. Knowing that God's Word, when we speak it, does not come back void. Knowing that God will use it. Moved by the fact that we have God's love poured in us, that we reach out and get beyond ourselves. Now the only way, though, Stop and think about that to keep this doctrine and really pass from generation to generation is both to live and proclaim this truth. First, to, to live it out, that people see you as a person of faith. They see you trusting and resting in Jesus, not striving on your own power, but resting, knowing that God will provide every need that you have. Live it and speak it. Because when you live it, then that opens a door for people to listen. You've earned that right to share. That when you're wrong and you've sinned, that you confess that sin to them. Say, I, I'm sorry, what can I do to make it right? That we, we don't gossip about people. We don't tear people down. We build up the body of Christ. Look at 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. But be kind, kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wronged. Three things he says in that verse. One is not to be quarrelsome. You know, it's not important, husbands, wives especially, to win an argument. You may win an argument with your wife or your husband and lose the battle. It's not important whether we win it in the streets. That's the work of Christ. That's important to understand. What's important is how we deal with people. How we deal with them, it says, but be kind to all. Loving to all. Patient with all. Patient when wrong. Patient with one another. The Scripture is very clear in, in 1 Corinthians 7. Why not be wrong for the sake of peace within the body of Christ? Why not be wrong? Why is it so important that we get right and we stay right with others. We make them pay for it. It's never what the Bible says. And I'm so happy that we don't need to judge. See, our conversation is always to be with grace. Grace. It must be courteous and humble. It must be Christ-like. In fact, look at Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace and seasoned with salt so that you'll know how you should respond to each person. So how are our words to be? Well, they're always to be gracious, seasoned with salt. 
I love the story in John chapter 8. Maybe you do too. There's a woman who is caught in the midst of adultery. I believe she was entrapped in this situation. Brought before Jesus. How will you handle it? And he says to the woman after a series of things that happen, and he says to her, where is your accusers? And she says, there's none. He says, I do not accuse you. Go and sin no more. Very important how he, he deals with her. He acknowledges her sin. Loving, kind, gracious, merciful. But he doesn't condemn her. Our words are to be honest, they're to be true. There'd be grace seasoned with salt. When Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more, she knew. She didn't need to be beat up. She didn't need everything read. She knew she was wrong. She was convicted. She was standing in the presence of the living word. And sometimes people want to beat up the world when they're doing what's natural. Notice the treasure, the deposit. It's mentioned in some translations in verse 14, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The, the treasure here is God's word. It's God's truth. It's sound words from the previous verse we see. It's to be faithfully passed on from generation to generation. We have a responsibility to pass it on to our kids. This is extremely important. Pass on from generation to generation. The generation that is born again, is on fire for the Lord, is passionate. That next generation will have some compromises. And by the third generation, so often, the people drifted so far away from the, the Word of God. You can't tell them between the difference in the world. That's why it's so important. One of the reasons is that we are to take this treasure Word of God, that we put this great emphasis, this great value upon it. It's so valuable. It tells us what's right and what's wrong and how to get right and stay right, that we pass this on, we share it. These are life-giving words. This is what brings the change in life. God takes this word and works in our hearts. Well, look in verse 14. There's some words that says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The, the responsibility is given. But you can't do it on your own power. And, and I'm really thankful for this because he says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. It is through the, the power of the Spirit. Again, not by might or power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. You need the Spirit of God to lead you and speak through you and guide you and tell you how to walk and what to say and when to say and sometimes when not to say so you don't stick your foot in your mouth. Now, again, the, it's an active imperative. It, 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 speaking uh, again to Timothy, this young preacher, but he's called to continue to do this. Guard it. In such a way that it'd be like a, a man that would guard a tomb, the tomb of Jesus, that is. Guard it with life. It's the most important thing that would happen. Your life is on the line. Your kid's life, the, the world is on the line. They need to hear this word of God. It's so precious that we guard it, motivated by love. 
This gives us our, our cause, our reason to press on. That God's giving you a purpose to bring this word to this next generation. To come under that word, come under the authority of the word, and then take it to that next generation. See, what he's talking about, Timothy is a soldier. He's going to use this analogy. Timothy, you need to continue to hang on to it. Sadly, in every pastor I've ever talked to, they see people come into church. They're there. They're excited. And those are the most excited so often. They're excited for a while, but pretty soon they let go of that word of God and they're gone and they, they go back to the world. They go back to their old friends. They're back to the old habits. Timothy, you need to live this. You need to hang on in such a way that people see that it's important to you. And this is what you need to do, Timothy. To pass it on this next generation. And we're just like that. We need to continue hang on to sound doctrine. And this is important. This is the straight and narrow path that will lead you, but so many are drifting away. And that's what we're going to talk about as we go through 2 Timothy. There are people that will abandon you. Abandon the very word of God. Abandon Jesus. The book of Galatians is very clear. That some had left Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand for another truth, which is not a truth. Another Messiah, which is not a Messiah. Another doctrine that was not the doctrine of God. He says, I'm amazed so quickly you're deserting him. And that's what apostates do, is they leave Jesus Christ for a broken cistern, a broken well. Well, soldiers, soldiers of the faith, we, we need to hang on to it, press on in Christ. Why? Because we have a purpose, a glory. That's to exalt Jesus Christ. 